Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Productivity with Purpose, brought to you by Cronion Collective. I'm your host, Alicia, and this is the second installment of our Societal Productivity series focused on reentry and recidivism for the felon populations. Today, I'm incredibly excited to introduce our guest, another Chris, who is actually a reentry coach for our returning neighbors or felon populations. And we'll touch on a few of the roadblocks and shortfalls in this process. Let's get started. Hi there, and thanks for tuning back into Productivity with Purpose. We are so excited today to have our next guest, who is actually a re-entry coach for Falling Chains, which is a re-entry program for felons. Hi, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing well, Alicia, and how are you? Really good. Enjoying the springtime weather. Yes, as are we, although... Here in South Carolina, the area I'm in is definitely spring because it sprang back the other way overnight. Oh, gosh. I do not miss that from being on the East Coast and in the South where like every other day it's a different. It's like, should I wear a jacket or shorts? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for coming and speaking with us today. And I know that you're a reentry coach. So could you tell me a little bit about what that is and then maybe tell me a little bit about what Falling Chains does? Sure. So reentry coaches are people who assist formerly incarcerated persons in their return home to our communities. And that covers a broad spectrum of challenges that returning neighbors face individually. And so what I do is I just help them think through and then walk through the order of the steps that they need to take in order to be as successful as possible, as quickly as possible. As a reentry coach for Falling Chains, the organization itself not only provides individual reentry coaching for people getting out, but also provides consulting services for organizations who work with the reentry population. I uh, can help churches and other nonprofit organizations, even for-profit organizations, think through what it looks like to best utilize their resources in assisting returning neighbors. Amazing. And I want to touch on your saying um, returning neighbors, which I think is a really powerful way to kind of change that dialogue. What brought that about? Well, words have power and uh, specific words have specific meanings. And I think that a lot of times when folks think about individuals who've made poor choices that have led to incarceration and harm mm-hmm. in the community, they tend to have a throwaway mentality towards those individuals, like That's it's right. kind of a one and done. Everyone who commits a crime in the minds of many people, not all, but many people, are from then going forward, they're always the criminal. Right. And what they don't realize is 95% of the people who become incarcerated return home. 95%. Wow. And the only ones you really know about are those who make the papers that you happen to see. Right. Quite often in churches and in businesses, you don't know that a person has a record unless they choose to tell you. And the use of the terminology returning neighbor is something I want to point out that You know, there are people in your neighborhood, specifically your audience in your neighborhood, who have either returned from a period of incarceration or have a loved one or a friend who has been incarcerated. 
I really identify with that. And I'm actually learning something from this because I've gone, well, what should I say? Because both of my parents are felons and I've always just said felons. So I talk about felon reentry and I talk about things like that. But I see that what you're saying, well, if we just go ahead and switch the narrative from the beginning, it might make it easier for people to see these individuals for what they are, which is just normal people, just people trying to do their best every day like everyone else. So that's really powerful. I'm glad that you brought that up. Well, I'm glad that you're using that terminology because it's, it's already made me really start to think about the way I do things. So thank you for that. Okay, so on our last podcast, we spoke with an individual who got in trouble a lot later in life. He was already very well established, which means he had all the resources he could need to fight it. And we learned from him that the biggest mistake he made was not taking it very seriously in the beginning. When he started to hear he might be charged, he thought, well, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything, so I don't have anything to worry about. The justice system will protect me. So what do you run into with the younger populations that you see as kind of their biggest mistakes at the beginning of something like this, at the beginning of when they just like they're about to do something they might be charged with or they're getting charged? What is the first like set of mistakes they make? I think often, Alicia, what we run into is a mindset of I won't get caught. Right. So they begin with the premise that, first of all, the rules don't necessarily apply to them, that the ends will justify whatever means are utilized to achieve them, and that, okay, so what's wrong? What I'm doing is wrong. So what? I'm not going to get caught. Right. And so the first primary mistake people make is disregarding the effect of their actions on others. I Um, think that's really important. Because, well, one, I like to touch on the fact that a lot of times people don't get caught. (laughs) And I think that's a really important distinction is that when we go felons and criminals, those are the ones that did get caught. Those are the ones that did have to go away and pay for their crimes and pay the piper type thing. But almost all of us know someone and these individuals specifically probably know people that have never gotten caught. Or things like that. So I think it's important for people to change their way of thinking if they know that they're going to do something that is illegal. Because if you do get caught, it's not just a tap on the hand. It can affect you for the rest of your life. But I'd also like to call our audience to action and going, okay, well, they did get caught. But there's a whole bunch of people that didn't that are doing the exact same thing. And I know that I've done things that I could have gotten in trouble for and never got caught. So, yeah, I think that's important to kind of touch on. But okay, so they had that mindset going in. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to get caught, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But then they did. Now they find themselves in jail or in prison. What do you find is the biggest mistake that's made in there? Do you think that the system is really trying to rehabilitate these individuals when they're in there? I think, Alicia, that's based upon which system they happen to be in. Um, It does matter what state you live in. It does matter whether you've committed a federal crime or not. Mm -hmm. The federal system has many more resources available. Of course, there are other drawbacks to being within the federal system, but some state systems do a really good job at 
providing programming of, that's available for people to address their criminogenic needs, to address uh, some of the issues that caused them to make the types of decisions that they were making. And some states, quite frankly, don't. Right. Um, it's more warehousing than anything else. So right. honestly, I would say it depends on where you are and what's available. I know in some states, it's possible for a person to request a transfer to a different institution that may have the types of programming that they're looking for, depending on the amount of, of time that they have remaining on their sentence. And for me, what I would tell the audience is if you know someone who's incarcerated or if you yourself are currently under some type of judicial order where you're getting ready to go to court, potentially mm -hmm. to go to prison, take advantage of the educational resources that are available, because many of them are quite useful, whether you intend to follow a particular career path or not. So I know that there are some vocational training in some states, Illinois, for instance. This is a funny story. So okay. in Illinois, they would provide you, the state, the prison, would train you as a cosmetologist. They would teach you how to be a barber. Nice. Um, yeah, it's great, except for up until about a year or two ago, maybe two years ago, you couldn't get licensure as a barber in Illinois. You were barred from that if you had a felony. Yeah, so they fixed it. They okay, did good. fix it, but up until two years ago, they would train you, and but you couldn't get a job, not in Illinois. How frustrating. Isn't it? And so... So there are opportunities available for people. It's just, you know, you need to think it through. Absolutely. So I want to touch on a few things. One, that it really is luck of the draw. Everyone's not having the same experience, just like in everything else in life. The same opportunities aren't afforded to everyone. It's going to depend on where you are and where you happen to get sent to, basically. Well, and that, that and your, your education level matters, too. Because the way you speak to people, people will judge you based on the language that you use. And that's unfortunate, you know, because different cultures have different ways of expressing themselves. And you know the challenges. Absolutely. Uh, so that's unfortunate. I think that is important. It's not just what you did and where you are. It's how you're perceived. And Correct. A lot of people have one idea of what the correct way to do things is, one idea of the correct way to communicate, one idea of the correct way to do a certain job or search for certain things. And if the people coming in aren't aware, were never trained on that type of communication style or the way to get things done, they might not even be able to take advantage of the programs that are there because they wouldn't be offered to them or they wouldn't know exactly who to ask or what to ask to get access. And so I think that's important for everyone to know, especially people, like you said, that have loved ones that are in or that might be facing a sentence themselves to do your best to educate yourself. And if you find that you're coming up short, see if you can find a mentor or a coach or something like that, like with your Falling Chains organization. And I know that there are similar ones all over the nation. Be your own advocate because it's going to kind of fall on you when you get in there. No one's going to do it for you. And unfortunately, no one's making sure everyone's getting their equal share, right? Right. And I think you made a good point, too, about, you know, you need to advocate for yourself. 
personal responsibility is an issue that I would say most of the people who make the types of poor decisions that cause them to end up incarcerated often don't take responsibility for their actions. You know, they feel like, quite frankly, that, you know, hey, this is unfair. This ain't right. I, that shouldn't happen to me. And they're not taking responsibility for, hey, you know what? You know, I made a bad call and I'd really like to not make those types of bad calls again. Let me see, what can I do to learn how to make better decisions? Absolutely. And I think mindset plays a huge role because some people truly are innocent and they just, they still get in there. And then even the people that are guilty, there's all kinds of situations that lead to it. And so it's very easy to fall into the woe is me. Everything is bad. Everything's always going to be bad mindset. So how do you help your mentees or whatever you may call them get past that mindset? Like, yes, this is bad. Yes, this in some cases might not be fair, but regardless, we have to move forward. How do you get them from point A to point B there? Well, what I honestly do is, Alicia, I ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. And what I want people to do is consider, often I would ask them to consider, okay, well, do you feel like you're, you know, if they intimate to me that they've been dealt with unfairly, I say, okay, well, what does the law say? What does the actual law say? You know, how do they define this action? How do they define this consequence? And does that apply to you? And if it applies to you, do you think that they're treating you differently than they treat other people? Can you give some examples? And, and I just ask a lot of questions. But what my real intent is to not let them focus on the past. Right. I want them to be thinking forward. And so what I will do is, you know, I'll give them time to process those questions. I don't expect immediate results. I don't expect a question or a set of questions to produce necessarily answers in the moment. Right. Sometimes I'd like for people just to sit on it for a little while. But what I want them to be doing is thinking forward. Okay, this is where you are. Okay, I'd like for us to look at what got you here so that you don't get here again. But this is where you are. Where do you want to go from here? And then I ask them, how do you plan to get there? What's your process? What's going to take you from where you are to where you want to be? I want them to create a roadmap. What I... Yeah, what I don't want them to do is to wander off in, in any old direction or to have some uh, wish or dream that is unable to be fulfilled because it's, it's not possible or it's possible, but they have no idea the steps necessary to reach there. I want them to be thinking about that. And I think that, that people can. It's not my job to tell people what to do. Right. Uh, not my job to tell people how to do it because that denies their ability and their power to make decisions for themselves. And I'm not going to take away their power by providing them the quick answer. I think that's really important. And I think that this applies to everyone, not just our returning neighbors, as you say. Everyone has something that's happened to them that has set them back. Everyone has something that has happened to them that they think is not fair or that they think, I'll never recover from this. I can't get past this. And it's okay to sit and process that grief or that trauma or that anger. It's okay to sit there for a minute. What's not okay is to stay there, right? So we, yes. want, we want them to be able to process it so that we can actually move forward in a meaningful way. And something that is 
specific to the people that actually end up incarcerated and charged is that even when they have processed it, even when they have put the steps in place and the work in place to move forward, they still have this scarlet letter type situation where even though they, they're not the same person they were when they went in, they've made all of these changes. They're still labeled as a felon. It's still going to pull up on their background checks. It's still going to be barrier to employment, barriers to all kinds of things. And so when we think about this part of the population, we should have more grace because I can't imagine having to some of the things that I've dealt with in my life that caused me to felt like I was put back, you know, two, three years. And that's just a couple years. And it felt overwhelming to me, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to keep up? How am I going to get better? But I did. And I pushed forward and now I'm doing things that I want to do. I can't imagine if I was here and still someone could look at me and go, yeah, great job, but you're still a felon. Yeah, great job. Your resume looks great. Your education is great, but you can't work here because we know what you did a few years ago. And even though you paid for it, literally, we set a cost, you paid that cost, but we do not accept it. I can't imagine how frustrating that must be. It is. I mean, the thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that there are over 45,000, and by some estimates, 48,000 laws on the books in this country in the different states and within the federal government that prevent people with records from doing any number of things, from holding certain positions. And even if it's not codified into law, there are still certification requirements that will say, for instance, you can't be a doctor if you have a violent felony. You can't be a nurse if you have, you can't even work in healthcare in some places Mm -hmm. if you have a record of of any kind. So you're preventing a sizable part of the population from taking advantage of employment that would not only increase the GDP of the nation, but would reduce the rate of recidivism and would help to create safer communities. Because when people are gainfully employed, they're too busy to get in trouble. (laughs) It's true. Idle hands, right? Right. You know, and it gives people a purpose. It gives them, you know, they feel like they're giving back. And so with all of these barriers, it's almost like, so our society is one of perpetual punishment. Yes. Perpetual punishment. And it's easy to label and then dismiss. And unfortunately, that's become a normal part of business in America. A lot of it has its roots in racism and in systemic racism. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has its roots in, in a political system that is afraid to move forward because of the potential for personal political loss. And it's just, it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic, especially now post-COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID, there were opportunities for people with felony backgrounds to have employment in, in many industries. Right. But now post-COVID, Doors are shutting left and right, especially for this particular population, and and it's truly sad. It's frustrating for a person who has availed themselves of every educational opportunity presented to them while they were incarcerated to get out and to, you know, they're giving it their best shot. They're giving it their best shot, and they are continuing to be rejected and turned down based on an event, a fact, a, a series of poor decisions that is 
three, five, 10, 20 or more years removed. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's, you know, we are permanently judging a person based on the worst decisions they've ever made. And so my question to some folks would be, you know, okay, how would you like to be judged for the rest of your life based on the worst decisions you've ever made? How would you like, first of all, for them to be public? Yes. And then for every time you go somewhere to apply for a job, you have to write that down on your resume. You have to put that on the application. Absolutely. I think perpetual punishment is a brilliant way of putting it because that's exactly what's happened. They're... You never stop getting punished, no matter what you do. And we would not accept that anywhere else. If my child got in trouble in school and then it just, they kept punishing him for something he did once, I would take my children out of that school. If my manager Mm -hmm. had a problem with me, he and I, or she and I got in an issue once and he kept bringing it up, I would sue the company. I would never let that kind of behavior stand but we do when it's not us when we can go oh us and them well they then it doesn't mean any then they can deal with that treatment because I would never have that happen to me I would never do something like that so how they are treated has nothing to do with me right and you know and it's easy when we live in a society that is primarily a me first society We live in an era when, you know, it's all about me and where feelings have the force of fact to many people. And instead of informing us about the world, they develop their own truth and the world is supposed to revolve around those truths. When we live in a society where it's more me and my tribe than it Mm -hmm. is you and your tribe or them and their tribe. And when we start utilizing language like they and them and those people, we are marginalizing a person that if we got to know them as a person and just had a conversation with them, our perspective might change. And I think there are a lot of people who are afraid of that. They don't want their perspective to change. They're comfortable where they are. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, it's scary to get to know someone who has done something that you think you would never do. It absolutely Uh, is. You have like the cognitive dissonance, right? Where you go, oh, it it doesn't mesh with the ideas, the narrative I've created. If I can accept this piece of information, where am I going to put it? What else will change? What else would I have to adjust as a person? That seems like a lot of work. It's much easier (laughs) to just write it off. Sure. I think that's really important. So, okay. And I do know also, for example, my mother is a felon. She got out, she got her associate's degree, went back to college, got her associate's degree as a paralegal. So proud, so happy, on the right path, and could not get hired anywhere, even though she had the degree, even though she obviously has a lot of experience in the legal system and has tried helping people and things like that. She hasn't been able to use her degree, and it's very frustrating. So what advice would you give to any of our listeners that do have something on their record, they're still, they're out there looking for work, they're applying for jobs. Have you seen any way to break that barrier? Have you seen any way to, that you find is like the best tip, the one thing that works at least some of the time to help them get their foot in the door so they can actually make that good impression? Sure. The first thing is know your worth. 
because you are valuable. Yeah. You do matter. You have something to bring to the table that company can benefit from. So when you understand that first, when you walk into the door of an interview, when you walk into a place to ask for an application, you already understand the value that you can bring to that place, yeah. to that business, to those people. And understanding that to begin with carries an air with it. And people see that. They can recognize it. So you have to understand that if you're, think about it this way, you're going to be selling yourself to this company and you're going to be selling your skills to this company. So what they're interested now in is what is your character today and what skills, abilities, or aptitudes can you bring that's going to increase the value of that company? So for instance, I'll give you some examples. For instance, let's say a person was a drug dealer. They sold drugs and they received some, some time for that and they got out. They took, you know, maybe some business classes when they were incarcerated or maybe they didn't. Maybe they took a trade and, and they're just learning. They want to learn. Let mm -hmm. me tell you what someone who has a criminal background in drug dealing has as a skill. Right. They're skilled in uh, supply chain management. They're skilled in distribution, in customer service. They are skilled in logistics. Yes. It's so easy to go, oh yeah, just drug dealers, but it's work and it's work for a profit. You were trying to make money and you had to manage all of these things at one time, just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, that's a good point. So people who have done that, when they walk into an interview room, they need to know that they're bringing those skills to the table. They also need to know that, hey, listen, you know, they have to own why they're in the position that they're in. Right. They have to be able to say, hey, listen, you know, I made a lot of bad decisions that quite frankly were selfish or that I thought I had to make based on the environment that I was operating within. Right. I see now that, you know, that was not the right way to do things. And I've been given an opportunity at a fresh start and your company can benefit from that. Yes. So walking into an employer's office, not only knowing your worth, but also knowing that the company will benefit from you being there. And when you can sell that to them, they will see it. That's the first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is this. Do not ever quit. Don't give up. Keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Because yeah. when somebody finally lets you in that door, you're going to blow them away. You might even change their mindset. You might be the first person who's formerly incarcerated that they've ever hired. And yeah. you might change their entire view of folks like you and start hiring more. And I can't tell you the number of companies that I know personally who have been blown away at formerly incarcerated people and how hard they work and how appreciative they are of the opportunity to have a second chance or third or eighth or whatever. Right. Uh, and they're going to be on time because they don't, they don't want to lose their job. They already know, you know, exactly. they're behind the eight ball to begin with and they're aware. In some cases, they're already on probation or parole. So guess what? You don't even have to worry about doing your analysis on them because they're getting that in the office. Absolutely. They're being held accountable more than anyone else. That's exactly right. I think what you're talking about to me, it's like controlling the narrative in your own head and helping to control it in your potential employer's mind as well. Being able to frame it yourself in the way that is lets you share 
the best about you and what you're going to bring. Right. Well, it's, I would actually go far uh, beyond saying controlling the narrative to say that, you know, you are stating the facts in the most honest light that you can. Right. So, you know, you have to be honest about where you've been and how you got there. But being honest with others also means you have to begin by being honest with yourself. Yes. That's where it starts. The third and final thing I would say for people who are looking for employment is you need to increase your circle of your network. Mm -hmm. Um, So you need to branch out and try to get to know people who are outside of your normal circle. And here's what I mean by that. My grandfather had a saying, and it's a colloquialism that's you know probably pretty common here in the South at least. Yeah. But what he said was, boy, if you want to fly with eagles, you got to quit running around with turkeys. And what he meant by that was, if I want to learn how to fly like an eagle, the best thing I can do is start hanging around some eagles because they've done it. In my own personal experience, I was able to connect with some mentors. They are mental giants. And what I look for in a mentor personally, when I start looking for other people to, when I'm expanding my circle, my network, I begin to look for people who are where I want to be in some area of life. If there's a person who is more advanced spiritually than I am, I want to see if they will take the time to help me to get to where they are. If there's a, someone in a business area or who is working a trade or a skill that I want to learn or to get better at, I would like to get them to show me as they have time how to do what they're doing. Yes. So if I want to get better or if I want to be at some specific level of functionality, what I want to do is I want to find people who are already there, who are already doing it because they know how to do it. Yes, absolutely. Like attracts like, like creates like, but I also, I do want to touch. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to, I know that people can be nervous about making new connections, about putting themselves out there. And specifically for the returning neighbors that maybe they have that feeling like, oh, well, when is it going to come out, you know, or when I tell them, what is it going to be like? So I think we understand that it's not easy to put yourself out there. It's not easy to go and take that next step, but it is necessary. So being able to, um, like you said, tell the truth to yourself. Yes, I messed up. Yes, I was in trouble, but also, yes, I have come a long way. Yes, I have a lot to offer. And coming from that place to be a little more comfortable doing these things that are hard and scary or whatever they may be to you to really lock into what could be a much better future. That's true. And we can use a term that anyone who's been incarcerated will know this term, right? And it comes out of the gym. No pain, no gain. Exactly. You have to take some some risk if you would like a reward. Yes. And it's just a different level. It's a different type. One of the phrases I like to use with folks is, you know, what's the worst that happened? They can't eat you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. If they say no, you're still exactly where you started. So what? Yeah. Yeah. And you've heard that before. Well, actually, you're not. So what's interesting is the more no's you get, Mm -hmm. the farther along the path you are, the closer you are to the yes that you need. 
That's an important distinction. I like that. So yeah, you got to know you got something you tried, you're moving, you're still moving forward. It might not be as far as you want, but it's still Mm -hmm. a step. And at that point, you can say, would you mind telling me explicitly why it is I'm getting this? What can I do in my next interview to get a different answer? And you would be surprised at the number of people who would actually answer that question. They'll say, well, okay, I think maybe next time dress this way. Or I think maybe next time, you know, they'll give you input if you Mm -hmm. ask for it. That's that's incredible. That's exactly right. Why, why not ask? And then that way you can adjust accordingly. And learning to take these, I wouldn't say criticisms, but these constructive measures and apply them moving forward. Having that mindset going in, oh, let me learn something can go a long way. But yes. we're almost out of time for this segment. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Any like last words for the audience? Well, <laughs> No pressure. Not really. I mean, we covered, we covered a whole lot. We sure did. And, you know, we're actually at a time when a lot of attention is being brought to the way criminal justice is conducted in this country right now. Yeah. And things are changing for the better. So for those who are discouraged, keep your chin up. Don't stop moving. Continue moving forward. Place one foot in front of the other and, you know, make the best decisions that you can for the future that you want to achieve. And let me tell you something, though, you're not going to do it by yourself. You're going to need help. You don't have to. No, find people who are willing to invest in you, invest in you through time, invest in you through character to help you to develop into the type of person that you really want to be because you can be that person. That's beautiful. I don't think I could add anything to that. I love exactly where that lands. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming and speaking with us today. I can't thank you enough. And hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Well, you know where to find me, Alicia. (laughs) I do. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to Productivity with Purpose brought to you by Cronion Collective. Don't forget to check us out at cronioncollective.com. That's K-R-O-N-I-O-N and then collective with a K dot com where you can find replays, um, resources, and other ways to manage your time more effectively and be more productive. And don't forget to click on details to find links to our speakers as well as their amazing resources. Thanks so much. See you soon. Bye.